Right. You guys can have a seat. If you're at home, you can stop dancing and moving around. That's fine. Or you can perk up and pay attention. One of those. <laughs> hey, glad to be here with you today. Get situated. We've got all the kids in the room, except for the little tiny ones, I think. They're back in uh, kids' ministry. It's great to see you guys today. Welcome to the house. Man, well, welcome again to the porch. Thrilled to be with you together in God's house today. Amen. And by the way, um, I chose to preach live today because I, I need help from the, from the audience. So I'm, a, I'm a more of a Pentecostal preacher. I need some amens and attaboys and go on, go ahead, preach it, brother, that kind of stuff. So uh, expect to hear some of that today. And by the way, amen is, is not just something you use to hang up from your prayers. It, uh, it literally means so be it, or I'm in agreement with it. Uh, so if you're in agreement with anything that I say today, just say amen. Give me an amen just to test it out. There we go. All right. Well, I got to tell you, sitting at home uh, watching the service, much different than being here. This is our first time back inside the service, um, and I have my reasons for that. But it, it really is different hearing people raise their voices, even though some of them may be a little muffled behind your mask. That's okay. Uh, I haven't seen many of you in a while, so let me just say it's good to see you, although I can't see all of you, <laughs> but it's good to see you today. For those of you watching online, welcome to the porch. Glad you're tuning in, and hopefully you've been interacting in the chat and in the comments. That really was, uh, for us, a way that we could stay connected with people. We would log in on Sunday morning and, and uh, interact in those comments. And, uh, but it's definitely not the same as being here in person, whether you're a waver or a fist bumper or a hugger, you are welcome here. But thank God that we've got a way to be connected through all this. And thanks to our tech team who's making a lot of stuff happen today. Yeah, let's give it up for our tech team. And uh, give us some grace this morning because we're trying this kind of hybrid model with the pre-recorded worship and then the live teaching and a lot of different transitions. So they may not all be perfect, but we're going to get there. Amen? Amen. All right. All right. Well, many of you know that I was uh, the worship pastor here at the porch for about four years. And uh, it started off as a two-month interim type uh, fill-in, but I guess the Lord had other plans. But in February of this year, I decided to step off a of staff and pursue a, a different plan. I had the privilege uh, last year about this time actually of taking a sabbatical. The, the porch was gracious enough to give me about four months off uh, to really kind of... Uh, a season of discovery is kind of what I was, what I was calling it. What, what I discovered is that I'll always be a pastor no matter my profession. And that really hit me hard, you know, over those, over those four months. And even over this past year, I, uh, I'll, I'll tell people at work, well, you know, I, I, I used to be a pastor or I, I used to work in the church. But I, I don't like saying it like that because it feels like I've, I've stepped away from something or stepped away from my calling. And that is certainly not the case. And let me tell you just a side note that you are a minister no matter what you do for a living. That God's called you to be a minister. That's a, that's a freebie there. That's not even in my notes. God wanted somebody to hear that today, so that's good. So I had this sense that God wanted me to help those who were needing a break. So I, I experienced burnout during that season of, uh, of four years. There were a number of things. I was leading my own church. I, I worked a number of jobs to make ends meet, uh, working here in the mornings. And, and then uh, in 2018, we shut our church down, and, and I went through a tough time. And, and really because I was burning the candle at both ends. And I was also a substitute teacher for four years uh, as well. And I, and I had this vision 
during that season of discovery of, of me filling in for preachers, pastors, and, and worship leaders just as a substitute would fill in for a teacher. Except this, I, I wouldn't be trying to teach chemistry or, or Spanish, which I have little expertise in, uh, but I'd be operating in my gifts and my calling while helping others get a break. Well, as you know, shortly after COVID, churches went virtual, and many churches were just trying to survive. And, and all of us, I think, Many of us in this room were trying to really figure out life in this new normal. Amen? Amen. Yeah. So, so I didn't have much opportunity to do what I felt called to do. I, I did a few recordings on my phone for some churches, uh, recorded some worship songs to be played here at the porch. Uh, and then I, I got partnered with this ministry called Torn Curtain Arts. And uh, they, were, they were doing exactly what I felt like the Lord wanted me to do in the area of worship. They would fill in for churches that needed worship leaders. And it's been a, a privilege and an opportunity. Hey, everybody, you can see. It's a privilege and opportunity to, to still use my gifts within the church. And so today, as I've been given this opportunity to share with you, I was thinking that I could just pull something from the vault of, you know, 17 years of preaching. There's plenty of sermons that I could just reach in there and just like, oh, you know, one of those like, you know, let your fingers do the walking through the yellow pages and just pick one out kind of thing. Um, because really, because I didn't think that I'd have the time to write and record something to be played. And that, to be honest with you, that's one of the reasons why I decided to be here live, because it gave me a little more time. So, I mean, I was, I was finishing this sermon last night, and uh, hopefully you can't tell. Amen? Amen. <laughs> hey, looking for some, some encouragement there. All right. You're still out there. There's a reason you're here today. Um, so I didn't, have to, didn't really think I'd had time to, to write something, you know, working a, a full-time job and, and volunteering at different places and, and doing that kind of thing. But I realized that in the, in the four years that I served you as your worship pastor that I never took the opportunity to talk to you or teach about worship. One of the things that God designed me to do is lead people to his throne in worship. And while I, I hope you learn some expressions of worship by, by watching me, I hope that today you'll experience the value of your personal worship. So what is worship? Worship, the word just it literally means to ascribe worth to. To ascribe worth to. To give worth. To put it simply, giving God the glory and the honor that he deserves. So worship and praise can look different in different churches. Amen? So some, some churches, they don't even use instruments. Some churches use only an organ. I grew up in a church kind of like that. We would only sing hymns. Others churches sing modern worship songs. Some worship through singing and some through dancing. Some even have ribbons they wave around or flags. Some are jumping and clapping and laughing and crying. And some are shouting and raising their hands and stretching out their arms to reach heaven. And others worship simply solemnly in silence and contemplation or meditation. There are many postures of praise. And, and uh, I would encourage you... I, I thought about showing it to you this morning, but I would encourage you to, to look up on uh, YouTube or on the internet. Uh, Tim Hawkins, uh, he's a comedian. He's has, he has a, a bit that he does on uh, the expressions or postures of worship. He'll have, have one like, hold the TV, hold the TV, you know, this is your posture of praise. Um, and, uh, and some other ones like, high five, high five Jesus, you know, that whole thing. So <laughs> take some time to, to watch that. You can actually go on my Facebook page. I think I have a link there of someone doing those uh, motions. But here's a question for you. What kind of worshiper are you? What kind of worshiper are you? So if you're writing in the comments, go ahead and answer that question. For those of you that are in the room, I want you to take just a moment, turn to your neighbor, and answer that question. What kind of worshiper are you?
I'm going to give you 30 seconds to answer that question. So do you sing loudly so everyone can hear? Are you a quiet singer? Are, are you shy of your voice? Do you, do you think that you can't carry a tune in a bucket? Um, are you more of a shower worshiper where you can sing when nobody else can hear you, you know? Uh, do you raise your hands? Are you more contemplative? Me? I think you can probably guess. I love the extravagant expressions of worship. I'm a more charismatic worshiper. I, I love watching people worship uh, the way that I do. Uh, eyes closed, really experiencing the, the love of God. I love pop, watching people receive a touch from God, especially as I'm, I'm leading and I'm, and I'm watching and looking out there. You can, you can see um, those that at least it appears to, to be that you're experiencing a touch from God. I love watching that. I mean, have you seen that where, where people are lost in worship? A lot of times it takes longer than about 15 minutes, I'll tell you that much. Because it, you know, by the time you get to church, you're trying to shrug off all the stuff that you've dealt with, getting ready for church, the arguments that you have with your spouse, getting your kids ready, having breakfast, you know, all those things, you carry that burden with you when you walk into church. And from my experience, it takes about two, three songs before that, all that kind of stuff, just those burdens wash away and you really get into the presence of God. And, uh, and then... We've got, it, we've got a chance to hear a message. And that's worship too. When you're listening to God's word, that is also worship. So perhaps you've come to church today out of duty or obligation. Maybe you came to see some friends, uh, whether in person or online. Uh, maybe you've come to have an experience with Jesus. Perhaps you've come because you can't make it through your week without getting something out of church. Perhaps you're watching this later in the week because you slept in. <laughs> I've been there, skipped church on Sunday a few times over the past six months. I feel you, okay? It's okay. I'm glad you're tuned in. But I hope today, whether you're here in person, online, watching it later in the week, that you're going to meet Jesus in a way that you need. Because he's here and he's got something to say. Amen? Man, thank you. We, we've all been through a tough time these past six months. Will you raise your hand if, if it's been tough for you? It's been a rough, it's been a rough time. I mean, we got stay-at-home orders. We're working from home. We're remote learning. Maybe you got laid off or furloughed. Maybe you couldn't come to church for a while. A number of things. And, and I bet for at least some of that time, you felt like you were in prison. Yes, amen. Now preach it, brother. Yes. You felt like the lockdown had you feeling locked up. Anybody with me? Yeah. yeah. Man, God led me to this passage this week that I believe is going to speak to you today as we unpack it. So if you got a Bible with you, you might find some under the chairs. I don't know if we moved them or sanitized them or whatever, but um, I might have licked a few of them. So that's <laughs> a joke. Come on, get over yourself. Turn to uh, Acts 16, okay? Let's have a little fun. So Acts 16, and I'm going to have a, a little bit of that on the screen for you. We're going to read it in kind of bite-sized chunks. We are going to unpack it. We're going to learn from the Word today. Are you ready? Yeah. yeah. Amen. Amen. Man, you don't get this kind of response when you pre-record a, a sermon. Man, I love this. This is, this is what's up. So we'll, um, we'll actually, actually issued a challenge. Pastor Will, excuse me, issued a challenge at the beginning of this year to read through the Bible and I don't know if, if any of you took that challenge, if any of you are still participating. Um, I kind of fell off the wagon and then jumped back on. I had about 16 days to read. And, and uh, for the past month and a half or so, I've been driving down to Colorado Springs for work. So I've caught up on all my days. 
Pat myself on the back, praise Jesus. But I've been reading this plan called the One Year Bible on the, on the YouVersion Bible app. And uh, it's where you read the Bible in its entirety over the course of the whole year. I don't know if you've ever done that. I've read the Bible three or four times in my lifetime. And uh, at, one, at one point I read it through in 90 days. It was, it was B90X. I don't know if you remember the P90X, Tony Horton Beachbody program where you get ripped in 90 days. Well, I was getting spiritually ripped in 90 days reading through the Bible. It was a lot of reading. But this plan I'm in now has me reading through. Um, right now I'm currently in the book of Isaiah in the Old Testament, and then it also switches over to the New Testament. You get some of that. So I'm in the book of Acts. And I love the book of Acts. This is our heritage. If you want to know what, who and how you're supposed to be, your identity in Christ, look at the book of of Acts. This is, this is our calling. This book is a description of what the church should look like in our actions. Hence the name, right? Why is it called Acts? It depicts the actions or the acts of the apostles. An action is a verb. It's not a sitting back and being uh, passive. It's a participation type of thing. And I believe the gospel in this life that we've been called to live is not just to watch, sit back and watch somebody else do some, some amazing, miraculous things for Jesus, but to participate and act and do those things. We should follow suit. Amen? Come on. I'm going to start in verse 16. Here it goes. Once, when we were going to the place of prayer, so... The apostles here, they're on their way to the life group, right? Be involved in life group. There you go. Uh, we, we were met by a female slave who, who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She's a fortune teller. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the spirit, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the spirit left. All right, so what's happening here? Let's unpack this. First, Paul the rest of the gang, they're, they're walking through town. They're heading to their prayer meeting, maybe a life group, something like that. Uh, and they were confronted and met by this fortune teller. And she was yelling out, these men are servants of the Most High God. They're telling you how to be saved. Now, at first, this doesn't seem too bad, right? I mean, it's like free advertising. Like, like the, she's walking around with a bullhorn like, Come and get it, you know, the snakeskin oil, it's going to heal all your diseases. You know, it was, it was like one of those things where she was giving away free advertising. But, and she wasn't lying. However, she wasn't just making a commercial for the apostles. She was mocking them. She was accusing them unjustly. And look, she kept it up for days and days. And finally, Paul got annoyed. Now, I think... All of us at one time have experienced the spirit of accusation. This, this gal was accusing these apostles. Now, there's a difference between accusation and correction. Now, correction's a way of life. Correction is meant for direction, but accusation imprisons and destroys. Let me say that again. Correction is meant for direction, but accusation imprisons and destroys. And let me say this. I don't think that we, we have never experienced more accusation than ever before in the time that we're living in now. I mean, people are accusing others left and right. I mean, just look at your newsfeed. Scroll through the comments. Uh, read the, the comments from the trolls on social media. Look at the arguments taking a place among your friends. I mean, we are giving in to the spirit of accusation here. I've experienced it. You've experienced it. So... In my job, part of what I do is um, 
is basically door-to-door sales. So I'm that guy that you hate to see coming to your door, okay? <laughs> yep, I'm the modern-day equivalent of an encyclopedia salesperson, okay? I walk door-to-door in areas that have been hit by hail, and I offer our free inspection services. Now, until you've done a job like that, I don't think you know how mean people can be. <laughs> I've gotten cussed at, I've gotten the door slammed in my face, almost bitten by a number of dogs who I promise, I, I swear, I'm pretty sure they're, they're rabid. I've been told countless times, I don't buy from door knockers. Plenty of people say they're not interested, and, and I try to lighten the mood and pretend I've got Girl Scout cookies, or I've uh, you know, got a publisher's clearinghouse check for them. Some of you young folks don't know what that is. Google it. Maybe they're still going, you can sign up. <laughs> See, often people just want you off their doorstep, and I get it. I get it. I I mean, I'm a homeowner. I don't like people coming to my door, but goodness sake, you don't have to be a jerk. I mean, geez, those people are human, you know. It's not like they don't have a soul. I'm one of them. Oh, my goodness. In those moments, I feel like I I I get lumped in with every other sleazeball that's ever taken advantage of someone just by the dirty look that grandma gives me sitting at the door. I mean, some people accuse you without saying a word. Boy, some days I feel like, like Paul, and I feel like I need to exercise some demons going door to door. <laughs> I mean, you go from, I mean, think of it from my perspective. You go from a position of respect and esteem. I mean, people show up to hear what you have to say. People want your advice. But now I can't get somebody to call me back. People don't want to have a conversation with me. And all because of the occupation. Now, you likely don't have the same experience, but I, I can guarantee you that every morning you wake up and you're getting accused. You're getting accused by the enemy. The Bible says in Revelation 12:10 that Satan is the accuser of the brethren, the brothers and sisters. Satan's mocking you day and night for what you believe for the sins that you've committed. He's lying to you, telling you you're not enough. He's mocking you, saying Jesus won't come through. He's getting in your head. He's accusing you unjustly, telling you that you're not good enough. And what happens when we get accused? Often we feed into that and we become accusers ourselves. Ouch. That's, that's not an amen. That's an old me. Yeah. And, what you know, we'll accuse others. And then I think the bad part is we, we begin to agree with the enemy. We're like, yeah, you're right. I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not pretty enough. I could never do that. I mean, the cycle will bog you down if you let it. Don't agree. I mean, how long will you allow that to go on? I mean, it took days of this crazy lady following them around, shouting accusations, mocking them for Paul to get annoyed. <laughs> and he'd finally had, had enough. Now, I, I don't have that kind of patience. I may have lasted a day before I chewed her out, (laughs) but finally, Paul speaks to the evil spirit and tells it to come out of her. When are you going to speak to the accuser and tell him to leave you alone? When are you going to speak to the the, uh, accuser of the brethren, the lying spirit of accusation, and tell him to stop? He's using you to uh, rub people the wrong way. He's been accusing you of slacking off, not doing enough, being a bad parent, being a bad spouse. When are you going to tell him to stop in the name of Jesus? Tell him I'm more than enough. Make those declarations. Tell him I'm a good parent. I have what it takes to fulfill my purpose. That's a side note. And in fact, I was thinking about this. I'm like, well, this doesn't really go along with the worship teaching, you know, teaching how to worship. But 
You come in with that baggage of accusation when you're trying to get into the spirit of God, and that is weighing you down and not setting you free. Let's pick up the story. Verse 19. When her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas, dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, these men are Jews, are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. And then verse 22, the crowd joined in on the attack against Paul and Silas and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they'd been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell, fastened their feet in the stocks. All right, stop there. So Paul's annoyed at this evil spirit, and he got rid of it, but there were repercussions because this was going to cost the people that owned this gal lots and lots of money. So they grabbed them, taking the matter into their own hands. They dragged them to the authorities, making more accusations. These men are Jews. Throwing our city into an uproar, advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. And just so you know, Paul and Silas are Gentiles. They're Roman citizens. So what are they doing? False accusations. They're lying. Again, that spirit of accusation from that gal was gone, but the lies never ceased. The devil is going to keep coming after you and after you and lying on you and and telling you things that, that are not true. So the mob joins in. They're stripped of their clothes. They're exposed. They're shamed. They're beaten with rods. They're flogged, thrown in prison in the inner cell with their feet shackled. That was a day. You you ever hear the phrase, it's been one of those days? You ever said that phrase? (laughs) Yeah, me? <laughs> it's not time conf- for confession here. I just want to know if I'm if I'm alone in this or not. You know, it's been one of those. It's meant to describe a day that did not go well. I mean, we've all had them, right? Ups and downs through the day. Your kid yelled at you, told you that he hates you, all because you asked him to eat his broccoli. Your boss made some backhanded comment about your performance. You're stuck in the house with your spouse for six months, and they're getting on your nerves. I, not that that happens with us at all. Now, likely, none of us are going to be stripped of our clothing this week. None of us will probably be beaten with rods or flogged. But you may be stripped of your pride. You may be stripped of your confidence. You you might be beaten down by depression or anxiety. You might be beaten down by isolation or accusation. Have Have you had one of those days that doesn't seem to go right? We all had them. Or one of those days that went well for the most part, but some bad news made it all come crashing down. And I don't know about you, but I am not proud of my response in some of those situations. And Paul and Silas have have a great response on, on one of the roughest days of their lives. Mind you, up until this point, they'd had a pretty good experience They were praying and asking God, and they had this feeling of a direction that they should go. But then God said, don't go that direction. Go over here. And they went over here, and they saw this gal named Lydia get saved as they were preaching and praying with these people. And and then all of a sudden, things take a turn for the worse. Their day ended up by getting beat up one side and down the other. And how would you respond? Retaliation, maybe slander on Facebook, maybe spit in somebody's face. Maybe yell a few four-letter words at the top of your lungs while banging the steering wheel of your Jeep Wrangler. 
That's just me. Here's their response. Let's look at it. Verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening. Picture this for a moment. It's about midnight. It's dark. Paul and Silas are shackled to a prison wall in a cell. They probably have some broken ribs, maybe a broken nose. They've got dried blood on their bodies. Who knows if they even let them put their clothes back on. They're bruised. They're aching all over. Certainly it does not seem like much to praise Jesus for. But that's their response. They pray and sing to God. They, they break out in a worship session. I mean, it's, it's like the equivalent of you hearing that your son is on drugs and you decide to have a worship night. Or you find out that someone you love has cancer and you start to worship God. You have a fight with your spouse that seems like you're on the verge of divorce and you decide, let's put on some K-love and worship Jesus. This is what Paul and Silas do. Perhaps Paul looks over at Silas and maybe he's asleep. Silas, bro, you asleep? Silas, you dead? No, 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 I'm up. I'm up. What's up? Sigh. He's your buddy. He's got to have a nickname. Sigh. We're not dead, man. We're not dead. So that, that means we're not done. There's still breath in our lungs. God's still on the throne. Jesus is still risen from the dead. He's still alive. And they, and they break out in song for everyone to hear. Just start singing. I love you, Lord, and I lift my voice. Maybe they just start singing this, this song that they knew from their childhood or one that they'd been singing on their way to the prayer meeting. Every ache and every bruise in their body mustering everything up to get over what's happened to them to sing praise to Jesus. And then, verse 26, suddenly... There was such a violent earthquake, and the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open. Everyone's chains came loose. So check this out. There's something, something remarkable here. Paul and Silas prayed and worshipped God before the miracle. The, song, the, the, the songs that they sang, the, the worship they gave, they worshipped him at their lowest point. See, see, God didn't save them from a beatdown. He didn't intervene when the mob was surrounding them. He didn't somehow use the force and give them an imaginary force field, fending off the, the attackers. They chose a response of worship even after all they'd been through. They didn't look up in God and say, say God, where were you? Or, God, you should have showed up. Or, God, I needed you. They began to pray and sing to Jesus. The foundations were shook, the chains fell off, the doors busted open, and they were set free. Let me ask you a question. What if, what if the, the key to the chains of your imprisonment are on the other side of your praise? And all we're doing is complaining, accusing, and blaming. What if your breakthrough is getting ready to bust out of your song? What if we praise Jesus not only for what He's done, but for who he is. That's what happened here. They didn't pray him and, and, and thank him for the beatdown that they just got. I mean, I think that would be ridiculous. Jesus, I thank you for this beatdown. Thank you for teaching me a lesson. You know, I would have been mad. 
I'm like, I, I'm, I'm on my way to do something for you, and you let this happen? Where were you? These guys, they praise Jesus for who he is. The book of Philippians was written to the, the church at Philippi from, from Paul in a Roman prison. Here, he's, he's in Rome in Acts 16, and this is one of the many times where he was in prison. He didn't have time to, to write a letter to the church at Philippi, but he knew what it was like to be in prison. He knew what it was like to be set free. He knew what it was like to be beaten and then not rescued from that beatdown, but set free while in prison. And, and when, another instance, when he was in Rome, he wrote to the church at Philippi. In chapter 4, he said, Rejoice in the Lord always. And then he's like your mom because he thinks you don't get it, and he says it again. And he says, I say again, rejoice. Praise God for who he is, not just what he's done. Praise him through the pain. Praise him through the pandemic. Praise him on this side of your miracle. Praise him on this side of the healing that you need that you haven't seen. Praise him on this side of the prayers that you've been praying that you haven't seen the answer to yet. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Paul knew what it was like to be in pain, to be persecuted, to be accused, to be hurting. Here's the perspective he chose. He chose a perspective of praise. Got one point for you. If you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. Prayer and praise are the prescription for your problems. <laughs> you can tell I like alliteration. I grew up in that area of, of preachers who used all the, the same starting letter. But I think you'll, you'll remember this. Prayer and praise are the prescription to your problems. So you, you don't know how to respond when stuff hits the fan, right? Prayer and praise. You have a fight with your spouse, prayer and praise. Your kids tell you they hate you, prayer and praise. And then you get the spanking spoon. I'm kidding. Just making sure you're paying attention. I mean, you get the point, right? If, if nothing else happened but them being set free, that would be an amazing story with Paul and Silas. If nothing else happened but the earthquake and the foundation being shook and the cell gels being opened and the shackles being loosened, that would be incredible. But look what else happens here. Verse 27. Midnight. The jailer woke up. When he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. Now, side note here. If you remember earlier in the chapter, it said that the magistrates ordered the jailer to keep watch over them carefully. It's, it's like that moment where you had one job. You've seen those memes? You had one job, you know, and it just did not work out. This guy had one job, and he's like, oh, no, I'm dead anyway. And he's ready to off himself because he didn't complete that job. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself, we're all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in, trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? This is the last time somebody ran up to you and asked you that, you know? been a while for me, you know, maybe 40 years or so. They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus, you'll be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. And at that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and his household were baptized. So your, your prayer and your praise are not only the prescription to your problem, but it's going to produce a pattern for others to be saved. It's likely that Paul and Silas began praying for their own predicament and then praising Jesus for the victory that was yet to be seen. 
It was likely, and this is conjecture here, this is, you know, a pastor looking and trying to pull something out of the scriptures and not explicitly written there, but maybe they prayed for their cellmates. They probably prayed for the jailer, and and I'm of the belief that nobody comes to Jesus without being prayed for. It was likely you had somebody praying for you, maybe your grandma or grandpa, that needed you to be saved and wanted you to be saved. And look what happened. The jailer and his household were saved. So, so when you live a life shining your light bright for Jesus, others should take notice. When you're on assignment from God, the enemy is going to try to throw curveballs at you, to bring persecution to you, to try to show you that what you're doing is wrong or get in your way or, or put you in a prison of your own thoughts or a prison of lies. But when God shows up and breaks you free through prayer and praise, then the Great Commission happens, right? Our, our purpose of bringing others to know Jesus through the power of, God, of the gospel will prevail. So what are you going to do? What are you going to do through all this? When, when you don't feel like praising, when you're at your worst, when, when the day doesn't seem to be getting any better, you'd rather wallow in your own insecurities or have yourself a little pity party, what are you going to do? Will you see prayer and praise as a prescription to your problems? And I hope you will. I really do. I hope I will. I'll let you know I'm preaching to myself. That's okay. We're living in a time of uprising, a time of people protesting, looting, rioting, accusing, spreading hate and not kindness. This is happening among believers too. I think that something different could happen if we just pray and praise. I saw a video on, on Facebook I want to show you this week. I saw it this week. I want to show it to you today. But this, this is a video of something that happened in the city of Chicago, which one of the highest crime rates, you know, cities that has the highest crime rates in, in all of the country, um, people rioting, protesting, and, and what looks to be like a mob of everything else that you've seen turns out to be something quite different when Christians decided to do something different, decided to act on what their beliefs. So I want to show this to you. So take a look at the screen.
So I, I saw that this week, and, and I thought, man, in the, in the middle of protests, in the middle of a pandemic, these guys saw prayer and praise as a prescription to the problem that we're facing in this nation. So I, I'm of the mindset that you don't just get a message, but you get an opportunity to, to practice what has been preached. And, and, I, and I, I want that opportunity for myself. So maybe you've been going through something over the past six months or however long that, that you just can't see an answer to, that you can't see an end to this thing that you're facing. Have you tried prayer and praise? I want to give you the opportunity to do that in the room at, and at home. And um, when I get together with my family, sometimes we'll have these, just these spontaneous worship times. And I want to invite you to uh, just join me in, in singing and worship today. And so if you would, stand on your feet. <laughs> Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for the opportunity that we've had to hear from your word, Father, for the, the model that you've given us in the book of Acts to show us how to act and how to respond when, when things aren't going well, Father, and, and uh, when, when things are, are at their worst, Often we feel like doing something different. We feel like a response that, that's a backlash or, or, or lashing back out at someone rather than turning to you and seeking you through prayer and praise. So, Father, as we seek you now, God, I pray for breakthrough. God, I pray for uh, people to be set free. God, from the things that have locked them up, from their prisons of thoughts and lies and God, we just give this time to you, and we ask that you would do with it whatever you will. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.